famous preacher by the name of Barton W. Stone, one of the four founding fathers of the Restoration Movement, held the Cane Ridge Revivals in 1801, a long, long time ago. And that meeting house is still there. It has a huge limestone building that covers it to preserve it. But as we stood there and, and really saw our heritage, our history, um, b- before our very eyes, uh, the question was asked, um, you know, what did Barton W. Stone do? What difference did he make? And I was able to share with my 17-year-old the Cane Ridge Revivals and the publication, The Last Will and Testament, of the Springfield Presbytery and how that really launched a movement to get away from creeds and get away from denominations and get away from organizations that that might be divisive in nature and to get back to God's Word, to focus on the unity of all believers, the, the history of our movement. I ask you a question this morning as we begin, and that is this, what did Jesus Christ do? We're in the middle of a four-week study asking important questions about Jesus and followers of Jesus Christ, finding the answers not from Jesus himself in the Gospels, but from those who wrote about Jesus in the first century world. Last week we asked the question, why does Jesus matter? And we spent time in the book of Hebrews. Next week we're going to look at how should we as Christ followers act. We'll wrap up this series on the 27th, looking at what is our call as followers of Christ. But before we get there, this morning the question is, what did Jesus do? Reviewing last week from Hebrews chapters 9 and 10, we discovered that Jesus does matter. He matters greatly because he was the one time for all time sacrifice. He was bringing us salvation and he made us holy. That's why Jesus matters. And this week our focus is, what did Jesus do? So grab your bulletin, grab the white little insert, grab a writing utensil. You should have pencils in front of you in the pew. And I'm going to give you two minutes, 120 seconds. That's a lot of time in, in the Sunday morning sermon scheme. And I want you to write down five significant accomplishments of Jesus Christ during his three-year public ministry. Five significant accomplishments. What did Jesus do? Go. What did Jesus do? Five significant accomplishments. Last week, as we looked at why does Jesus matter, we uncovered that as Christ followers, we need to be able to answer that question. A lot of people in our world today don't embrace the truth that we live for, that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is Savior. So we need to understand, why does Jesus matter? Another very important question is, what did Jesus do? If we can convince someone that, yes, Jesus does matter, we need to be able to articulate clearly and concisely exactly what Jesus did. And so, I know we don't like to talk back during church, especially not 815 service. We haven't been up that long necessarily. But I would love for some of you in a big, booming Greg Taylor voice to shout out, what did Jesus do? Give me one thing, somebody. Died on the cross, rose again. Fed the 5,000. Big, booming voice. Let's hear it. Obeyed his mother. Okay. That's true. What else? Healings? 
raised Lazarus from the dead, John chapter 11. What's that? Brought God to earth. Somebody said something out here? Obeyed his father. Okay. That's kind of a theme, obeying. That's right. The, the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today is very short. Last week we were all over the book of Hebrews. We were in Hebrews chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 9 and Hebrews chapter 10. And today we're looking really at two verses of Scripture from the very last book of the Bible. There's 66 books in my Bible and your Bible. And we're looking at book number 66, the book of Revelation. So turn there right now. And the passage of Scripture that we're looking at today was probably never intended to be the meat and potatoes theology part of a Sunday morning sermon. It's a doxology. It's words of praise. It's the Apostle John late in his life. He's been exiled from Ephesus. He's on the island of Patmos. He's written the Gospel of John. He's written 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he has received this incredible vision, this incredible revelation. And he is writing this revelation to God's people in the first century world and God's people moving forward. So it is for you and for me. And in the midst of the beginning of this, this passage of Scripture, this book that might be the most confusing of all the books in the Bible, he finds himself, when he stumbles across the name Jesus Christ, moving into doxology, moving into praise. But it's there that we can clearly and concisely answer the question, what did Jesus do? So let's read together. Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to begin with verse 4. We really want to focus primarily on verses 5 and 6. We're going to put the scripture up on the screen. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Here we go. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. What did Jesus do? Right here, Revelation 1 verses 5 and 6, we see three things that Jesus did that impacts our yesterday and our today and our tomorrow. And I would just say all of us could memorize these three things that Jesus did. And so when you find yourself in a conversation and somebody says, you know, is Jesus really a big deal? Wasn't he just a good teacher? Didn't he just tell some cool stories? Didn't he just really impact his world in a, you know, kind of a teacher kind of way? You can say, no, he's so much more than that. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And here is why. And number one is this. What did Jesus do? Jesus Christ loves us. Jesus Christ loves us. It's right there at the, the, the middle part of verse 5. When the word Jesus Christ arrives, he loves us. And this is a present tense verb. It's an active verb. He didn't say that Jesus loved us in the past. He is saying right here, right now, Jesus Christ loves us. There are three words. We've studied this before. This may seem like review for some of you, but there are three Greek words for our English word love. 
And two of them appear in the Bible, in the New Testament. One of the words is eros, that's a relational kind of love. When when you're 17 years old and you think you love that boy or you think you love that girl, that's an eros kind of love. You hold their hand and your hands start sweating and you you, you you can't talk anymore, your breath is kind of taken away. Um, That's an eros kind of love. There's also... Uh, phileos, which is uh, the, the root that we find from the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That is a, a friendship kind of love. That's a best friendship kind of love. But then there's the word agape. And agape kind of love is an unconditional love. It's the highest form of love. And that is the Greek word that we find in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. When John says that Jesus loves you and Jesus loves me, he loves us, it is an agape kind of love. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, I think we really see uh, demonstrated well what this agape love looks like from God the Father and Jesus the Son. And it says, God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why the key word that you need to grab a hold of is unconditional love. We live in a a world of conditions. Came home yesterday, had been home about five minutes, and I said to my son, if you mow the yard, don't listen, Marla, I will pay you to mow the yard. I'll give you some money to to, to cut the grass. Man, I've never seen a 14-year-old spring into action so quickly. The, The grass was mowed like that. Now, if he would not have cut the grass, if he wouldn't have mowed the grass, I wouldn't have paid him. And in fact, I didn't pay you, did you? Did I? I just realized that. So see me, uh, see me. I shouldn't have shared that illustration. What am I doing? He forgot about it. Wow. Okay. Glad you're at first service today. Never comes to first service. Wow. Okay. Unconditional love is so different from the, the conditional relationships that we have today. If you do your work in school, students, you will get a good grade, more than likely. If you show up for the job and and, and follow what your boss wants you to do, you will continue to get a paycheck. It's a world of conditions that we live in. But Romans 5.8 shows us that God loved us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. It's an unconditional love. Max Lucado put it like this. It wasn't the nails that held Jesus on the cross but rather it was his love, his love for you and his love for me. What did Jesus do? First and foremost, Jesus loves you. Secondly, what did Jesus do? Jesus Christ has freed us from our sins by his blood. Now, last week we talked about blood. This week we're talking about blood. If you're new around here, you may be wondering, is there, what, what is this fascination with blood? It is central to the gospel, it is central to what Jesus Christ did. He freed us from our sins by his blood. I was an EMT basic early in my adult life in Moequa. They were about to shut down the ambulance service because um, they didn't have enough people to be volunteer EMTs. And they came to me and uh, I said, I really don't think I'm the guy for you. And they said, you know, you can walk and you can breathe and you can talk some of the time and that's good enough. We'll put you through the class. And um, the very first EMT call that I went on was an attempted suicide. And there was blood everywhere. And thankfully, the young man did not accomplish what he was trying to. But when I returned home, I, I had blood all over me. 
and a shirt that I owned I could no longer wear because there were blood stains on that. Blood was everywhere. And I can still remember that. That was the fall of 1993. I can remember that like it was yesterday. Blood impacted me in that, that great and mighty way. Jesus Christ has freed us from our sins by his blood. Different from the Old Testament we studied last week where animals would be brought in and the animals would be killed and that blood would cover the sins, it would roll the sins forward. Jesus Christ became that one time for all time sacrifice with the shedding of his own blood for you and for me. Do you love the hymn, Nothing But the Blood? Here are the words, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can for sin atone? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not for good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus has freed us from our sins by his blood. And it's a past tense verb. It shows an action that took place um, 2,000 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago, but is relevant for you and for me in 2013. The blood of Jesus Christ frees us from our sins. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. He says, In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And so the key term here has to be the word forgiveness. You don't have to allow that pain, that sting, that bondage of sin to dominate your life anymore. Whatever it is, whatever holds you back, whatever holds you down, because of Jesus Christ, you can experience forgiveness. If you are a follower of Jesus, you will experience forgiveness because what did Jesus do? Jesus Christ freed us from our sins by his blood. What did Jesus do? Number one, Jesus loves us. It's a present tense verb. It's an active verb. Secondly, Jesus made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve God the Father. It's a past tense verb. But number three, Jesus Christ has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve God the Father. Now the verb used here technically is a past tense verb. But it has ramifications on the present and on the future. And so Jesus Christ did make us to be a kingdom. He did make us to be priests to serve the God and Father. But it's not something that just was relevant 2,000 years ago. Or just was relevant 100 years ago. Or just was relevant a decade ago. It's relevant today and tomorrow. And the key concept that, that we need to grab a hold of here is the concept of every member ministry. Jesus Christ has made you to be a minister. He's made me to be a minister. And we throw that term minister around and we get confused. In some churches and some denominations, the clergy um, are, are seen as kind of a notch above everyone else. A little bit closer to, to God the Father. A little bit closer spiritually. They're breathing the rare air that not everyone might be breathing, spiritually speaking. Right here in Revelation chapter 1, we are reminded that if we are followers of Jesus Christ, 
We are called to be a part of the priesthood. We are called to be priests. We're, we're called to be a part of the kingdom. We're called to minister in his name. The language that is used here, this kingdom language, this priesthood language, is the same language that Peter uses in 1 Peter chapter 2 where he says, you are a chosen people, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who belong to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Key term has to be the term ministry. Dwight Moody was once asked, as president of Moody Bible Institute, how soon after conversion should one begin to do ministry? You know, did they need to go to a Bible Institute for a time? Did they need to be trained for a time? Did they need to sit on the sidelines and watch others before they were able to really get out there and mix it up and make a difference? And here was Moody's answer. When you light a candle, how long does it burn down? before it gives off light. The idea is this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's no place for you on the sideline. It's time to get busy. It's time to make a difference. It's time to be involved. Some of the greatest impacting ministers that I know are people that love Jesus with all their heart and work at factories or work in schools or stay-at-home moms, or, or go to school every day because they're still a student. But they love Jesus, and they want the people in their life that don't know Jesus to make the greatest decision they could ever make, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So I asked this morning, what, what are you doing to impact your world for Jesus Christ? What are you doing? You may notice that our bulletin you know, we're constantly saying, here's a ministry area where there is a need. Here's a ministry area where you can serve. If you're on the sidelines, don't stay on the sidelines any longer. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Well, Jesus Christ loves us, and he's freed us from our sins by his blood, and he's made us to be kingdom and priests, to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Grab your hymnal. We don't pull out the hymnals very often. It's the blue book in front of you. Grab your hymnal and turn to 311. And this isn't the, the song of invitation, so don't worry. This is just... Um, this is something that struck me. Not long ago, I was looking for something in the hymnal, and I came across a, a hymn that I, I don't know if we have uh, sung this hymn lately at FCC or not. I'm not sure. But as, as this message was being prepared, this hymn just continued to, to roll around in my mind. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement, can it be, say it with me, hallelujah, what a Savior. 
Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high everyone. Hallelujah. What a savior. When he comes our glorious king. All his ransomed home to bring. Then anew this song will sing. One more time. Hallelujah. What a savior. Say that one more time. Hallelujah. What a savior. What did Jesus do? Jesus loves you. Jesus freed you from the burden of sin. And Jesus has made you to be a priest. He's made you to be a difference-making part of his kingdom. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. And thank you for songs we sing that teach us theological truths. Thank you for passages of Scripture that were probably never intended to be sermon uh, study material on Sunday mornings. But they help us answer basic questions. They help us answer important questions. And yet through it all, I'm reminded, it's all about Jesus and the difference that he makes in our lives. We love you so much. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. It is commitment time here, as it is every Sunday here at FCC. In just a moment, the words to a hymn are going to go up on the screen, and we invite you to sing this song with us this morning. If you have a decision to make for Jesus Christ, if you've never said out loud, hallelujah, what a Savior, I want Him to be my Savior, I invite you today to give your life to Jesus Christ. If you're in need of prayer, we invite you to come forward. we got Tim Wimpy, Colin Mattingly up front. They would love to pray with you this morning as we stand together and sing our song of commitment. be seated. We're not quite finished yet. We've got a short video that we would like to show you.
And then Adam is going to close our service with an announcement and a word of prayer. Okay, so it's November 17th, That's which right. is a Sunday, it is. and you can pick it up from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m.? Exactly, it's perfect. Wow, I can just go in after church. Yep. Okay, what's included in this? A half chicken. That's a lot half of chicken. of a chicken. Wow. Yep. Mashed potatoes and gravy, corn, gravy. bread and butter, butter, and dessert, my favorite. Made by people. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. And it's only $9? Only $9. Wow. You know what they should call this? I don't know. What do they call it? It's a winner, winner, chicken dinner. We just wanted to do a, uh, a fun video just advertising our Nelson's Chicken Dinner um, on November 17th. Um, and this fundraiser as well as uh, the M&M fundraiser that's going on right now.